Well, all eyes are on developments in the Middle East. Well, also the Rugby World Cup, of course. But when it comes to markets, the impact on oil is the big question mark as money moves to safe havens. And is inflation really beaten? Rising oil prices aren't going to help. So what can we expect from central banks on that? Plus, I'll look ahead to some of the local data for Australia this week. It's Monday, the 16th of October, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. So gold shifting much higher on Friday, over $1,900 an ounce. Uh, we'll look at why that is in just a second. A tiny bit, well, it's obvious in a way, isn't it? A tiny bit of upward movement in the US dollar on Friday, but it did waver about a bit. The Aussie fell about a third of 1%, down below 63 US cents. The pound down a quarter percent. The euro down 0.2%. The Swiss franc, meanwhile, gained 0.7%. Everyone is heading for the hills, clearly. And perhaps not surprisingly, oil pushed higher on Friday as well, up 5.7% for Brent, almost up to 91 a barrel, 5 5.8% for WTI, almost at 88. Also on Friday, bond yields are falling. 10-year treasuries down 7 basis points, uh, down to 4.63%. That is 17 basis points lower in a week. UK 10-year gilts also fell 17 basis points last week, down to 4.39%. 10-year buns fell 15. Aussie 10-years fell just 7 basis points, though down to 4.48% at the end of the week. And US stocks fell on Friday. Well, mostly. Okay, the Dow was up, but just 0.1%. But the S&P lost half a percent. The Nasdaq was down 1.2%. Even Microsoft shares were down 1% on Friday as they finalised their takeover of Activision Blizzard for $69 billion. That's all. That deal's gone through. Shares down in Europe at the end of the week, too. The DAX fell 1.6%. The FTSE 100 down 0.6%. Closer to home, a 2.3% drop in the Hang Seng on Friday and a 0.6% fall in the ASX 200. And Tampa Strickland joins me today from NAB in Sydney. So, um, yes, yeah, safe haven currencies, higher oil prices. Spot gold was up 3.4% on Friday as well. So markets obviously getting a lot more cautious as we wait to see how this uh, Israel and Gaza story unfolds. We know it's going to escalate. We know ground forces are going to go into the Gaza uh, it is really the question mark is just how much this escalates into a regional war, isn't it? Good morning, Phil. That was the predominant rationale for the price action that we did see on Friday. Uh, just more talk about the Israeli Defence Forces uh, going into Gaza. And indeed, on Saturday, uh, the Israeli Defence Forces came out uh, with a statement saying the Israeli army is making preparations for a significant ground operation in Gaza. Um, and uh, the next phase of the war can include a coordinated land, sea and air assault. So that's the kind of background in terms of what has happened over the weekend. Uh, some talk that the uh, torrential rain that we did see in Gaza on Friday has delayed the timing of that um, potential uh, ground mm. operation. Um, but uh, there was some chatter uh, in Facebook um, about one Israeli city just near the Gaza Strip, which has about 30,000 inhabitants uh, being told to evacuate. So um, it, it could happen today, it could happen in the next few days, but that's definitely what markets are looking at the moment. And really, when you look at it from a market perspective, uh, you probably would have you would have wanted to hedge a bit of risk or take a bit of risk off, off the table uh, on Friday just because of the uncertainties of what would happen on the weekend when markets are closed. So no surprises really to see oil up um, so so large. The large increase in the gold price probably tells you a little bit about market positioning. I think that high for longer Fed narrative did see some people taking some shorts in gold and obviously with all the uncertainty still going on with Israel and Gaza, that's seen a bit of a squeeze up in terms of the gold price. Well, I mean, isn't gold also just going up because people are running out of options? I mean, there's so much uncertainty wherever you look. What's going to happen in the Middle East? What's going to happen with, uh, you know, the Fed and other central banks as well? You know, maybe it is safer with gold. Maybe. And you are hearing 
more talk of more central bank buying of gold and also gold demand in China as well, just given the uncertainty in terms of the um, financial outlook there as, as well. So uh, some drivers of gold are definitely supportive there, but the moves on Friday, just given it did rise by 3.3%, is suggestive of a bit of short covering within that gold market. And are we hearing anything from central bank speakers on what's happening in the Middle East? I mean, I mean Janet Yellen, uh, obviously not a central bank, but early last week saying that the war is unlikely to have uh, a significant impact on the global economy. I wonder if she wants to backtrack on that now. Uh, but Fed speakers seem to be avoiding talking about it. I mean, Patrick Harker uh, spoke to the Delaware State uh, Chamber of Commerce on Friday. I think he's talking again. He didn't even mention it as a risk. You know, he, he was too focused on saying monetary policy is working, uh, I mean, he. I mean, I wonder whether he'll broaden his outlook when he talks a bit uh, later on today, or is this just not the sort of thing that central bankers talk about? It's 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 off the radar as far as they're concerned. I think for the U.S. economy, the biggest risk really comes from energy prices, and there it really depends on whether this conflict does escalate outside of the immediate vicinity of Israel and, and Gaza, and importantly, whether Iran is drawn in, in, into that. And it's just still unclear at this stage. Um, in terms of um, the rest of the world, yes, it could have some some more impacts, potentially if it bleeds through to more financial market movements. But uh, in terms of activity, <clears throat> if anything, if the US is um, supplying uh, defense and arms and those kind of things towards Israel, then it's, it, it's unclear how this has a, a large impact in terms of the US domestic economy, mm. although it will have quite significant regional impacts. Well, it could be another case, couldn't it, of, you know, where we see Europe falling behind and the U.S. stepping ahead. But, you know, even in the U.S., uh, you know, increasingly we're beginning to question whether they've actually got inflation beat. We had the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey out on Friday. It showed a bit of a slowdown in the U.S., down from 68.1 down to 63, which is the lowest since May. And much of that is because people are expecting inflation to be higher than they had previously thought it would be. Yeah, so when you look at that 5 to 10-year inflation expectation, it did rise by two-tenths to three. 3%. That's pretty much within that 27 to 3.1% range that has been since January 2021. So it does suggest uh, inflation concerns are a little bit elevated, um, but I don't think really they're going outside of the range that, that we have seen since January 2021. And to some extent, uh, you could say the lift in inflation expectations is due to the rise in gas prices that we have seen in the US over the past couple of months. Um, Depending on exactly what happens with Israel and Gaza and whether Iran is drawn into that conflict in some way, uh, it will really help drive whether you do get a further lift in gas prices or whether you do get some retracement from here. Looking at the Brent oil price, it's sitting around $90 a barrel. I think it spiked up to about $97 um, most, most recently, so it is still a little bit lower than it was at, at, at its peak, but it definitely has lifted on Friday. And uh, China's inflation uh, data on Friday, year on year flat, month on month, it's up just 0.2%, uh, less than the month before. Producer prices year on year down 2.5%. Inflation doesn't seem to be an issue, does it? But also, imports and exports, both down 6.2%. New wine loans up, but not up as much as expected. And the growth in the money supply has slowed as well. So, I mean, you know, a whole load of numbers there, all showing the economy is not exactly flying, is it? No, the important thing about the trade data, though, it did come in a little bit better than expected. So, at least relative to expectations, maybe China is just starting to turn a little bit. Um, importantly, this week, we did get Chinese Q3 GDP figures and some activity indicators such as retail sales and industrial production on Wednesday. And I think that's going to be quite pivotal to 
to whether that tentative stabilization in activity that was picked up in the official PMIs most recently is starting to show through the harder data. And if it is, then I think you start to get a little bit of a narrative change in China. And I remember you doing a weekend interview with the uh, NAB Morning Call Weekend Edition um, and uh, with, with, with one person, they thought the kind of incremental changes that Chinese policymakers have made over the past three months, although it's not that big fiscal bazooka, uh, that's probably enough to stabilize the situation in China. So if that's the case, then you'd expect those monthly activity indicators to start to stabilize and to start to pick up. So that's what we'll be looking at quite closely on Wednesday. Yeah, that was you're talking about the, the, the uh, weekend edition with Shana Yu from uh, Capital Economics in Singapore, which was not the weekend we had, but the one just before that, which is a good reason why you've got to listen to the weekend edition of the morning call and uh, let's look at European industrial production numbers they grew 0.6% in August which was you know more than expected driven by consumer goods mainly TVs apparently I wonder whether they're all just getting a you know nice big screen to watch the rugby on perhaps because uh, they want to watch England win uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> year on year this is not going to go down well and I can tell uh, but year on year industrial production is down uh, more than uh, 5% isn't it it's so but, but this is you know this is after the IMF cut its growth forecast for Europe as well last week just 0.7% growth in 2023 so uh, yeah so weaker numbers again out of Europe how many times have we said this yes and i think that difference between what's going on in the u.s and what's going on in europe is still going to play out for the rest of this year at least and you've got mm. a european economy that does seem to be weakening um, and we're heading into the winter and whether the energy situation becomes more of an issue particularly if the israel gaza situation does uh, inflame the region there and then you've got the U.S. economy that continues to perform relatively well. And um, you may have heard the term rolling recessions within some sectors of the U.S. economy. And now we're starting to, what is it, two or three years since since the pandemic. Um, some people are now talking about rolling recoveries. And I think um, with the U.S. data this week, uh, there's some regional manufacturing indexes. And I wonder if they're going to get a little bit more attention than usual, just because they have started to see a little bit of re-strengthening occurring in some bits of the U.S. manufacturing sector. So um, yeah. it's just really interesting interesting to see that uh, some bits of the US economy are starting to be in recovery mode. Yeah, those rolling surveys starting with uh, uh, the Empire State this evening, of course, as well. So uh, let, let's talk about New Zealand very quickly. Uh, I know we also want to talk about what's coming up this week, uh, Australian data-wise. Uh, but, uh, of course, a, a loss for Labour, a win for coalition between the National Party and the Libertarian Act Party, uh, a bit of a shift to the right. They need Winston Peters as well. Actually, it seems like everybody's going to be in power <laughs> apart from Labour, uh, if you can understand how New <laughs> New Zealand politics works. But is that going to have any impact? Are we going to see any impact of that at all? Is it going to do anything to the New Zealand dollar? Uh, or is it not going to have too much of an effect either way? I think the three big issues that the uh, National Party campaigned over was uh, a change to the RBNZ remit uh, for the RBNZ to exclusively focus on inflation uh, instead of having that maximal mm. sustainable employment goal. And I think that's also interesting in the Australian context where they're trying to put in a, a um a full employment, oh, sorry, a maximum sustainable employment kind of goal in the uh, RBA statement. Uh, they also want to uh, cut personal income taxes, um, and they also say they can get the fiscal situation under control faster than um, than the now opposition, I guess. Um, but on balance, I think what it probably will mean is the economy will stay a little bit stronger for longer because those tax changes start to flow through, and perhaps that's a little bit more inflationary at the margin, but really only at the margin so we don't really expect too much uh, impact in terms of the uh, in terms of bond yields or in terms of in terms of currencies 
we'll get the uh, performance of services index for New Zealand as well, don't we, today after the uh, performance of manufacturing index on Friday fell further into contractionary territory from 46 down to 45.3. So we'll see what the services number is today. But this week, uh, well, there's a bit happening central bank-wise. Brad Jones, the assistant governor of the RBA, is talking today. Uh, you talked quite a bit last week about uh, uh, Christopher Kent's speech I think you've got a few people talking actually on that one uh, as to whether you know the uh, the RBA is going to be forced into a position where after the next hike they you know the markets might drive them into another one. Uh, so I wonder whether we'll get more from Brad Jones, which will either reinforce or get you to change your views, uh, perhaps. Or and then we've also got uh, Michelle Bullock talking on Wednesday as well, and we've got the RBA minutes, and of course we've got the employment numbers on Thursday as well. So it seems like quite an important week for for Australian data. Oh, it is an important week. And then also the following week is going to be quite important with the Q3 CPI figures. But in terms of the RBA minutes, I think the most uh, interest will be on the nuance and the discussion around the CPI, given that August monthly CPI indicator really showed persistent services inflation. And in the post-meeting statement, at least, there wasn't too much uh, talk around that. Uh, There could also be some discussion around the RBA's balance sheet, but we don't really expect any change there. And as we're talking about in terms of Assistant Governor Kent's recent remarks, uh, didn't seem to be any impetus towards an active QT program whatsoever. Um, Michelle Bullock does speak on Wednesday. She's giving a fireside chat with the um, note that Michelle will share her insights into the current economic climate with a focus on system stability. So maybe we'll hear a little bit more about maybe some of the vulnerabilities within the household sector, um, particularly just given it is the AFSA summit there. Um, and then as for employment, uh, NAB's looking for 30 thousand jobs just given how strong population growth is in australia at the moment you really need to see jobs growth around that level to keep the unemployment rate relatively unchanged so we look for the unemployment rate to be unchanged at 3.7 percent but really when you look at it the australian labor market still remains uh, relatively tight um, and that tightness in the labor market is one reason why australian households have been able to maintain the levels of consumption and why uh, they've been more resilient, especially in terms of the lift in variable mortgage rates than what some people had been thinking only a year ago. Right. Well, I think uh, as, of, as of today, I think we've just about covered everything. We've talked about the PSI for New Zealand. Uh, we talked about China. We didn't mention their one-year medium-term lending facility rate uh, is out today. We're not expected to see any change in that. Uh, US Empire Manufacturing, we've done that. We talked about Fed Harper speaking. Tick, 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 tick. We've covered it all. I think we can go now, Tapas. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Phil. And we should mention earnings season is also in full swing. We've already had some of the uh, the banks last week. This week, more banks, but also Tesla and Netflix, two big ones to look out for. We'll keep you across all of that as well, of course, on the morning call. Nothing uh, in, in the earnings season today to talk of, though. That's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then.